I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the Joey Barton to my Warren Barton. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Joey Barton's a penis. Who knew? I never saw it coming. Justin, how are you? I'm all right. Um, I've had a bit of a rough weekend, I won't lie. It's been a bit up and down. Yeah. Um, Friday night, no, sorry, Saturday night, I turned up to a gig that wasn't wasn't on. Um, It was a birthday present for my other half, and... Yeah, I bought tickets for a for a an absolute Bowie, uh, David Bowie tribute um, okay. band, and they weren't there. They weren't at the venue. Um, they were actually well, there. They just didn't turn up, or there wasn't a gig at all. There wasn't a gig at all. They were actually there on the Friday, the night before. Ah. Yeah, yeah. The worst thing about this story is Josie's. Uh, sorry, my other half's friend Josie. Um, she was at the same gig the night before and she messaged my <laughs> other half and said, this is really good. Um, you should get tickets next time. I was like, oh no, we've got tickets for the Saturday. Hmm. Yeah. A problem. Okay then. So what, what did you do instead? We went for food and I apologised profusely for my incompetence <laughs> because let's be honest, I'm not the best organised. We, we know no, this. Listeners will know this. You, you did think this podcast was starting, mm-hmm. uh, we were recording half an hour later than... Um, what we actually were um, so you've messed up there as well so you've not had a great weekend with timings actually have you? it's not been the best but i can say it's been a lot better than joey barton's so this swings and roundabouts yeah um that's that's a fair point the thing is with the barton thing and i don't want to open up this can of worms too much but i feel like i have done now anyway whether you agree with him or not up to you i guess but he Went on talk TV. I wasn't listening when he was chatting to Piers Morgan. <laughs> I didn't tune in live. I, I never would. But he was saying that the only people who should talk about the game are people who have played at the highest level. But then in about 10 seconds later, he said, oh, but you've got great journalists like Mark Chapman, for example. And he just completely contradicted himself. So I don't really get what the point is that he was trying to make. And he's, right, let's be honest, he's he's never played in the Derby Taverners League Division 1. That's a hard division to get into. I have. Yeah. He hasn't. So what does he know? Nothing. What does he know? Exactly. No. Exactly. He's a failure. He's a failure. What a horrible little man. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for us to review another championship weekend. And what a weekend it has been. We've got managers under pressure, which we'll talk about very shortly. Uh, plenty of drama and more wins for the top three who just seem to win every single week, don't they? Uh, so we'll talk about all that and then we'll do the polls near the end of the show and then finish off with Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Oh, also got our father-son combined 11 at the end as well, which I've uh, profusely put together. Um, I'm very excited <laughs> to show it to the world. We'll kick things off with the fight to stay up, shall we, Justin? A 91st minute winner from Anthony Mas- 
Saba saw Sheffield Wednesday beat Stoke 1-0. Ollie's three-word review for Wednesday. We're going up. Matt says, <laughs> oh, it's on. And Lomas says, Danny, Danny Royal. Incredible scenes when that goal went in. I enjoyed the mixture of Wednesday fans cheering and celebrating the goal. And in the background, you've just got booing from the Stoke fans. More on that shortly. <laughs> but yeah, incredible, incredible scenes. And Wednesday are now bot- off the bottom of the table after this. I'm not sure how that's happened. It felt like they were 10 points adrift of everyone else like mm. last week. But a cracking result for them. And back-to-back wins for the first time this season. Danny Rule has got the owls on a roll, Justin. I, I just knew you were going to bring it down a peg. The, the standards of this Sorry. podcast are low already. And you just you find new ways. You find new ways. But they are they are on a, a roll. I nearly said it myself then. You, Say it. <laughs> you've cursed me. Um, they are on a roll. They're fantastic. I, I, <clears throat> I just wanted to highlight a couple of stats, actually. <coughs> they had scored five goals before he came in. You're getting so... You're just so emotional. I know. I'm choking up. up. I'm choking up. I'm literally choking up because he's changed my life, Danny Rule. Um, but yeah, they, they, they scored five <laughs> goals before he came in, conceded 18 in 11 games. That's an incredible number. And they hadn't won uh, in the league as well. Since then, they played nine games. They've, eight, they've scored eight goals and conceded 13. And whilst it might not look impressive... He switched it around. They're in games. They're threatening more consistently and they look so much more confident in engaging opposition before they were just sat back waiting for other teams to score against him without any reaction. But now there's a little bit more proactivity about them. And it's fantastic. And not only that, he's got the look of a teenager from t- uh, 2012 who wears, a v- who wears a V-neck T-shirt from Topman. You know the ones with different coloured trims on it? They're all the oh, rage. Yeah. Forever young, Danny Road. Forever young. Forever young man. Um, he is doing a remarkable job, isn't he? Because this had all the ingredients to be a pretty embarrassing season for yeah. Wednesday. He's now given the fans belief that whether they stay up or not, the club's got a good young manager in charge and it's someone who's good for the club. I mean, things might be a dumpster fire off the pitch, but he's injected positivity into the club when there wasn't a lot to be found when he initially came in, was there? The eight points from safety still, so quite a long way to go. Not sure I'll be starting up the promotion talk just yet, <laughs> Wednesday fans, uh, but it's now looking like it's uh, not completely outside of the realms of possibility that they might actually stay up, Just Yeah, well, can I ask you a question then? Out of the managers who have replaced, sacked managers so far this season or managers who have left other clubs, is he doing the best job out of them because I, I create an argument to say he is because of the circumstances he's fighting against and and, and the position he took over uh, took Sheffield Wednesday over it's, it's a really brilliant turnaround yeah yeah I think it's it's probably between him and Sifuentes yeah. isn't it at QPR but Danny Rule I mean so far there's still a long way to go but if he keeps them up then bloody hell I think that is a ridiculous job I think even if he keeps them off the bottom of the table for the majority of the season I think it's an incredible turnaround because I'd have had them I'd have confidently said at one point or at various points earlier on in the season that they're going to set the record for the lowest points total in the championship which would have been embarrassing but now he's restored pride and now he's getting them in a position where they're looking even more competitive and they might you know, have a good chance of staying up if they have a good January transfer window. It's about keeping within arm's length of those teams above them come January and if you're in that position who knows what can happen after that? It's an incredible turnaround. 
Yeah, I still feel like Chancery's got something in him to completely throw yeah. this whole season off the rails. But uh, we'll, we'll wait and see. <laughs> Speaking of which, the club somehow managed to score another PR own goal this week after setting an early bird deadline for people to buy season tickets for next season. Uh, that deadline was just before Christmas. We, you know, the, the most expensive time of year for people. It's, u- it's usually around sort of April, isn't it? I've never had. Yeah. I've never renewed. That's, a, that's an extra early bird. Yeah, and also this team's not exactly convincing anybody at the moment. Or it is, I guess. I don't want to undo the praise I've just done for Danny Rule, but I'm not going to convince myself to renew right now if the team is in a position yeah. it's in. It's a really bizarre. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that that decision from the club went down like a turd on Chris Waddle's head. So the club did a U-turn swiftly on that. But let's talk about Stoke Justin because it's that time of year where the Christmas songs are playing on the radio, Advent calendars are being opened, Christmas parties up and down the country, and Stoke City are contemplating sacking their manager. Three road review here from LH. Just sack Alex. Scott says sack Neil. Now we had quite a few along those lines. You, you kind of get the idea from what a Stoke fans. Mm are saying four straight losses two of those losses against teams in the bottom three by the way and it feels like we're reaching the end of the Alex Neil era at Stoke Justin (sighs) yeah visibly blowing out my cheeks at the thought of this um, statement and saga of course there's argument for him to go he's not convinced me in his 15-16 months in charge so far but I've said several times while while doing this podcast the issues go way beyond the manager for example we were told by Stoke fans in the summer that they had one of the best summer transfer windows in the league Um, and yes they made some good signings but for me all it did was highlight the disconnect between the team management and the decision making upstairs Ben Pearson and Daniel Johnson are very much Alex Neal signings although Ben Pearson is a good signing at its level it's very much an Alex Neal signing then you've got Andre Vidigal Ryan Amai they look like Jared Dublin ones, the head of recruitment at Stoke. It's just a mishmash of decision-making. And unfortunately, that lack of blueprint that's been developed at the football club, managers are going to continue to fail until someone takes charge, someone takes ownership of the decisions they've made so far and put a blueprint in place for them to succeed further down the line. We've seen it with Luton, Brentford, Brighton. It works. It's important to have one. If you don't have one, you're steering into nowhere. And Stoke are steering into nowhere, or they have been steering into nowhere. Now they're staring at the abyss at the moment crashed yeah they've crashed and staring at the league one abyss because that's where they're going yeah it's not looking good is it and I thought this might be a different season for them because they brought in some new people behind the scenes had quite an ambitious summer transfer window but they're arguably at their lowest point since coming down to the championship and it feels like Alex Neal's been on the brink of the sack for at Stoke now for essentially the whole of 2023 (laughs) so it feels like it would only be fair really to continue that theme and then sack him on New Year's Eve so when you've got the countdown to the new year that's actually the countdown to Alex Neal finally (laughs) being relieved of his duties but it seems like he's on his last legs doesn't it I mean is it the right thing to do though I honestly don't know because Alex Neal is the late in a long line of good managers who have gone to Stoke and struggled it just feels like Stoke are cursed and mm. are condemned to be in the bottom half of the championship for the rest of time and I'm not really sure what the answer is to get things back on track again apart from having a blueprint but I thought that blueprint may be here with these new people who they brought in. Do you know what I think they're doing is <laughs> I might be right in saying, and it's worth double-checking, that the Coates family were in charge when Tony Pulis originally took them, took Stoke to the Premier League. And I think they're trying to sort of emulate that without doing much work themselves. And I know it sounds stupid because they invest a lot of money into the football club, but they're investing it without any real thought. And I guess Jared Dublin, the head of recruitment, is the is the man to come in and, and, and 
give them a lot more, I guess, structure in terms of who they sign and how they fit things into into a playing style. But for me, it just feels like they're trying to do what they did in 2006, 2007, or sorry, 2008, uh, 2007, 2008, trying to do that again. And it's just not working because guess what? Football's moved on. 15 years ago, it might have worked, but now you need a structure off the pitch and a blueprint to go forwards. And it's not, that's not there. What you're saying is they need to get Pulis back in. Well, they've tried everybody else, so why not? <laughs> it would be fucking funny <laughs> if not signing Pulis in. <laughs> get Pulis in, get Shawcross, Ricardo Fuller, get the gang oh back together. God. I think I'd a love to see it. And a coaching yeah. team of Shawcross, oh. Fuller. Bring Carlo Nash back. I don't even think he was number one. Rory Delap as well. Like, oh, come yeah. Back. The boys. The boys. The big the boys bad stuff, boys. Stoke. Yeah. Uh, keep you off one through on the bounce. It's after beating Hall 2-0. Three-bird review from Up the R's. Statement of intent. And Lewis has actually reassessed what QPR stands for. He says, quite promising, really. It. And it's some turnarounds <laughs> they're having, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, a lot of the plaudits has to go to Asmir Begovic for this game. He was a very busy boy. Made some impressive saves, but three wins on the bounce. I mean... That never looked like happened under Ainsworth, did it? And Sifu Rentas has actually now won more games in charge of QPR this season than Gareth Ainsworth. And he has got them flying, hasn't he? He has. I can't praise Sifu Rentas enough. And I think the, the, the big credit you've got to give QPR and Sifu Rentas here is this wasn't one of QPR's better performance in recent weeks because Hall had their chances. And as you say, uh, Begovic had to make a, a number of really important saves. But that just highlights the turnaround at QPR because under Ainsworth, under Critchley... They would have lost that game. They'd have they'd have sunk uh, without a trace within themselves and, and and become a shadow of themselves. But they kept going. They kept plugging away. And Chris Willett grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck or by the ears and and directed it in QPR's direction because they've got the quality of players to do that. Um, and they built around they built around the squad in, in doing that. Or Sif Wentes has, and I think that's where you got to give him credit because he's playing to the squad's strengths which Critchley and um, Ainsworth struggled to do and, it, and it's a big big thing it's a simple thing and there's a lot of managers who are struggling now who need to basically copy and paste that style and, and run with it because you play to players' strengths you're going to get results and they are um, and I think that's a, a big big thing the confidence is back and um, the place is rocking and we've not we've not said that for a good 12 months now yeah it's a party the Marty party the Marty party <laughs> That's what's going on at QPR. And the difference compared to when Ainsworth was in charge is absolutely huge. It's night and day, isn't it? I mean, the day being, you know, right now because it's looking bright and happy while it was the night before because of Ainsworth being a goth. <laughs> um, but a good start for Sifuentes. And I, I think one of the key points of, uh, you know, having this good start was actually playing Chris Willock because, I mean, really, Gareth Ainsworth should be charged with war crimes for not playing him. <laughs> and then, you know, getting Elias Chair back to his best is a big factor as well. But the big thing for me is how much better they are at the back. The underlying data shows they've dramatically improved there. Ultimately, we've always said QPR easily have the best squad out of the bottom four, yeah. don't they? We, we've never said any difference. They just needed a manager to get them playing. And that's what we're seeing. And they're now just two points from safety, Justin. It's incredible. It's incredible. And again, it's just that turnaround. It's the confidence is back. The fans are back behind the players. There's no there's no dread going back to Loftus Road anymore. It's it's so, so important to have that be behind you going into games. Because as I say, it just felt like Gareth Ainsworth's size were just playing with fear. They were playing to, to not lose, to not concede. Whereas... It's a little bit more about this team. And then again, you've got the, the star quality in Chris Willock and Elias Chair. Um, 
you get the ball into their feet, they're going to do something dazzling uh, with it. And, and we've seen that countless times in the last few weeks under Cifuentes. It's, it's a really simple formula. And as I say, getting that confidence back has been important, but having the fans back behind the team and, and, and winning while not um, while not uh, playing particularly well is really, really good ingredients to, to getting out of that bottom that bottom three because there are a lot of teams that are down there at the moment that are struggling Stoke and Mill being dragged into it as well QPR are giving themselves a fighting chance and you've got to credit Sifuentes for that yeah and remember before how they had nearly gone what whole year without a win at home yeah. now QPR fans are enjoying watching their side play at home for once um, so yeah it's really good to see and see it. one thing I want to touch on with Hull how long have they had McVitie's as a sponsor yeah. I've only just noticed it but it feels like a very 90 sponsor doesn't that's it? a big sponsor though um, I, it might not seem it but we all we all enjoy a biscuit we all enjoy a Jaffa cake to have McVitie's as your uh, club partner, I think, is quite incredible. Yeah, hopefully, you get some exclusive discounts there because, yeah, maybe we all enjoy Hobnob. I just thought, I just thought, you know, it's like in the nineties, you used to have like Walkers or McDonald's mm. as sponsors, didn't you? But now it's always, I don't know, a cryptocurrency company or a, a bookie or something like that. So for them to have McVitie's is quite nice quite enjoy it um, two managerless sides met at the New York Stadium as Rotherham lost 2-1 to Swansea Rotherham were down to 10 men for more than 70 minutes after Daniel Ayala was given two very silly Brain yellow dead. cards Brain on his behalf ridiculous yeah I mean the first one was just I don't even know what he was doing it's one of the most <laughs> stupid yellow cards you'll see all mm. season but they did battle well did a rather Victor Hansen made some incredible saves to keep the minute but it was always going to be a struggle for the Millers being down to 10 men for that long they're expected to name Liam Richardson as their new manager in the coming days the former Wigan boss Justin you've said before that he would be your choice as mm. their new boss is that still the case? Yeah I think it's more so the case now the fact that they've got the, they're fighting against the odds because you've got QPR have turned around their form under Sifuentes. Wednesday are doing that now under Danny Rule. Huddersfield are beating the last four. Not inspiring, but they're still getting results on the board, whereas Rotherham haven't. Um, and Richardson, Ian Richardson has got uh, history in 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 to, yeah, bringing those intangibles into into a team. Should he be appointed? I think he would give them a fighting chance. You look at him coming in at Wigan. They survived administration. They didn't get relegated um, to, to League Two under him. They put together a new squad and, 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 and walked to the League One title. And arguably, he probably, he definitely should have, for me, should have retained his job at Wigan last season. I think they would have had a, a better chance of staying up rather than making some really poor decisions off the pitch, as, as we all well know. But yeah, for me, it gives them a fighting chance because the odds are against them here and he's got a good core, good core experienced squad to, to work with. I'm less convinced. I think I think it's all right, but it's not particularly inspiring. I'm not having a go at Rotherham because it sounds like they tried to be ambitious. It sounds like they tried to go for a Gary Rowett, Chris Wilder, John Eustace, Nathan Jones, etc. Problem is they all said no, which is a bit of an issue. So it seems like, and I don't know this for sure, it's just based off what reports have said, but it seems like Lee Richardson is their 10th choice. And I mean, ultimately the bottom line is, do you feel like Rotherham are more likely to stay up after this appointment? Because not for me. I don't think they're likely to stay up, but I think he gives them a better chance than, than Matt Taylor did because 
I think firstly he's he's, he's got that ability to, to inspire a group of players to p- perform well beyond their means he, he did it with Wigan um, so I think that's going to give them a chance didn't do it in the championship though did he well no but they, they weren't exactly in the best place they should have recruited heavily in that, that summer but they didn't have any money to we, well, we know the problems they had Rotherham, Rotherham in the same position though just they're not they are but they've got a little bit more money to spend if you like and they've got better players for me to, to, to work with and they've got more experienced players as well like so Sean Morrison I think they're a better, they're better set than, than what Wigan were but that being said I think it's made more difficult the fact they've taken so long to make this appointment that teams have now developed uh, teams around them are now to picking up in form it's, it's it's made it much more difficult now I think he gives them a chance but I don't think they're going to stay up by any means but like I said gives them the opportunity to Mm, I'm not sure. Swansea's first win in six always happens after a club sacks the manager, doesn't it? I would like to see a study, actually, of how often <laughs> it is that a team wins their following match after sacking their manager, because it seems to happen a hell of a lot, particularly in the Championship. Justin, you wanted to raise an important point on caretaker boss Alan Sheehan. Yeah, yeah it's a really important one that we, we do need to talk about more often, I think. Um, it's the fact that I think Alan Sheehan's now the most handsome manager in the division. Um, it's. I think. I think he is. For me, he's elevated to the top. He's got a fantastic hairline, great stubble, salt and pepper. Yeah, the the greying look as well. Got lovely eyes. And more that. more handsome than Russell Martin. I think so. I think so. Russell, Russell Martin's had a haircut as well, which I'm not. I'm not overly convinced by. I think it uh, diminishes his handsomeness. But Alan Sheehan, lovely eyes as well. Has that Irish accent. I think that works for him. Perfect suitor for many, I imagine. Hmm. It's um, it would have been interesting last season because obviously Rob Edwards just walked it with yeah. a, the most handsome manager in the division, didn't he? There wasn't a competition, it wasn't any competition to him. Um, so with him gone now, I would have said Russell Martin, maybe she and I, I think Martin just steals my heart slightly more than she and does. Um, Huddersfield won, <laughs> Bristol City won. It's the fourth game in six where Huddersfield have drawn. They've drawn the most games out of any side in the division, which makes it quite difficult for us to form any sort of narrative about them, Justin. However, because all they do is draw, they're kind of just coasting along while you've got a reinvigorated QPR and Sheffield Wednesday showing a bit of life behind them which isn't ideal is it? <laughs> no it's, it's, it's such a weird one isn't it it's, again really hard to analyse because you can spin the positive that they're avoiding defeats but you know it's four games unbeaten it's a solid run of form they don't have a great squad but they are literally dragging themselves to January to, to really recruit they're desperate for new recruits because they um, out of the teams that are down there I actually you know, on the basis of discussion now, I think Huddersfield had the weakest squad. I think Rotherham's is actually maybe a little bit stronger. I think QPR's definitely blah blah. We can go on about this for for a while. I think I think Huddersfield's is, is is the weakest. And Darren Moore, I know there was there was booze at the end of the game, which I was really surprised by. But he's working with what he's got, and what he's got is not great. I don't think Warnock will have him in a much higher position either. Um, so for them to 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 still be chipping away at results, I think is. Uh, quite admirable to be honest with you that's just, it might be an outlying opinion but um, they, they need January they're desperate for it yeah I, well Huddersfield are the side I'm most intrigued to see what they do in January because they've got to strengthen haven't they and no team needs to strengthen more than them the squad is just so weak and really it's quite an achievement in itself that they've managed to stay out of the bottom three for most of the season so far but the way things are going that 
probably won't last. You've got these new owners who have come in and it's going to look like a crap investment on their behalf <laughs> if they get relegated in their first year that they're there. So the owner, Kevin Nagel, needs to pull his wallet out and get signing in January because otherwise they're in big trouble. Yeah. To be fair, I think they will. I think they're probably the side most likely to strengthen in January, but it, it's got to it, it needs to be a January that saves their season, basically, doesn't it? Because yeah. at the moment, you've got two teams, as I say, who are picking up and then at Huddersfield just just doing this, drawing and drawing and drawing. Um, Five games in charge for Lee Manning now at Bristol City. One win, two draws, two defeats. A steadyish start, I guess, for him. On Friday night, Coventry made it three wins from four after beating Birmingham 2-0, piling the pressure on Wayne Rooney. We'll talk about that very shortly. Callum O'Hare scored both goals on just his second start back for Coventry after missing nearly a year with an ACL injury. Two brilliantly taken goals too. How big... Is it having him back, Justin? It's it's like a new signing, isn't it? It's a bloody cliche. It is like a new signing. And he, he, it's because he brings so much to the team in the way of attacking quality and composure in the final third. Um, I'm absolutely buzzing for him because obviously he's been devastating and lucky with his injuries. I, you know, everybody hates, well, I hate seeing good players get injured. Probably implies that I like seeing the bad ones get injured, but we'll leave that there. But... <laughs> Uh, it's one of those questions where who knows where Cov, uh, Coventry could have gone if O'Hare was fit for the entirety of last season because he's got the ability to change a game. I think you only got to look at his second goal in this game to see how bloody good he is. His feet were fantastic. He misses two challenges. Commentator summarised that goal superbly by saying it was graceful, elegant, with a touch of violence. And I think you need that sort of player in there who's, who's going to be able to take the ball on the turn and, and, and finish with devastating effect. And he brings that to this team because... They, they needed it last season. They need, they did need it. They performed admirably without it. But this season, um, he brings that spark in that final third that um, they've missed for, for a large portion of it. Yeah, well, I hope this doesn't sound harsh, but I nearly forgot about it because he was out for just so long. But then he made his return a few weeks ago and I was like, oh yeah, that mm. could be massive. And the game against Birmingham was a great example of what he offers because his link-up play was excellent, but he can apparently now score two. He's never been a prolific <laughs> goal scorer, has he? But he took those two goals so well. And it's very exciting thinking about a Coventry side with a fully fit Callum O'Hare. As you say, last season could have been very different if uh, he was there fully fit for the whole season. Because, I mean, this season they've been playing well despite results not going their way and he makes them even better. Yeah. So exciting times with a O'Hare back in the fold. And I wanted to point out Tatsuhiro Sakamoto as well. He's just such a fun player, isn't he? He makes things happen for Coventry. And then Villa, Milan van Eckwijk is ridiculously quick. <laughs> he, he makes other players look like they're running in sand. He is just absolutely rapid. Uh, but Coventry up to 15th with this win. Only five points off the top six, which is quite remarkable considering they've been hovering above the bottom three all season. And I'm looking at it, Justin, thinking maybe playoffs? Ooh. I, I, they, they hit form at this point last season, didn't they? Well, not this point last season because it's the World Cup break, but in a similar similar amount of games that they had left. They, they, they've got the potential to do it. They've got the squad depth to do it. It's just whether or not it's going to click at the same time. And obviously, if you get Callum O'Hare back to his best, if you get Hadji Wright confident in front of goal and Ellis Sims confident in front of goal, then yes, there's a possibility of doing it. But there, there's some big hurdles to go over that they've not yet got over yet uh, this season. So I'm not, uh, not going to count my chickens just yet, but I've got one eye on it. 
Yeah, there's no point in counting the chickens because, you know, it's it's too early to be mm. counting all your chickens this far. <laughs> but I think all the ingredients are there. The squad is fantastic. You've got a great manager in Mark Robbins and the performances have been really good. It's just the results haven't been going very well because they can't find the bloody back of the net. And that's in large part down to the two strikers, three strikers even, who have struggled so much. I mean, Hadji Wright... Even though Coventry won, he missed so many chances against Birmingham on Friday yeah. night. And I mean, that's just been a common theme with him all season. So I feel like if it clicks for him, then Coventry could be absolutely flying. I mean, all just Ellis Sims clicking either, yeah. either. You know, anything like that. And Coventry may surprise everyone and show that they were in a false position all along. But just doing the same tactic as last season, having a shit start and then picking up halfway through. Um Unfortunately, that's not the case for Birmingham City. One win in nine for them now. Matt's three-word review. Bad, disastrous, tragic. Quite strong, but it also seems quite apt. Who'd have thought it would be a bad decision to sack your manager when he's got you in the playoffs? I don't think anyone saw this coming. As we all know, Birmingham infamously sacked Gary Rowett in 2016 and replaced him with Gianfranco Zola, which was a disaster. But even he won more points in his first nine games in charge of Birmingham than Wayne Rooney has. In all seriousness, what do Birmingham do? Because they've gone from fifth down to 17th in a matter of weeks under Rooney. Yeah, I think firstly, you sack whoever made this decision. For starters, that's Gary Cook, um, because it's horrendous. Uh, and also, you you have a, a serious conversation about Wayne Rooney, where Wayne Rooney's taking your team. And does he need more experience around him? Because I think Troy Genie summarised it brilliantly in post-game. I give him a lot of stick, by the way, but I give him credit for this. The fact that Wayne Rooney has come in and tried to change things instantly is horrendous. When you've got a team in good and a good run of form and you try to change the way they're playing, what do you expect? What do you seriously expect from that? Um, and I think at the moment you, you only got to look at Bielik's recovery runs. For example, that was pointed out post-game. They were a concern because that points to a notion of, am I playing for my manager? It didn't look like it. And I think the perfect summary of this this game was Wayne Rooney post-game. Um his arms normally have an air of confidence about them in the transition, <laughs> but they seem very downcast. They had a really sobering tone to them. You know, Give he said, us an example. Sorry? Give us an example. So normally it's like a, um, you know, really scouts, yeah. really confident, really, um, really high pitch. Yeah. This game, after this game, it was very flat. It was more of a, um. Oh, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. He's in a bad a place. Disaster. He's in a bad place. So a Birmingham. <laughs> Yeah, it is turning into an absolute nightmare, isn't it? And the thing is, if there were signs of them getting better, I'd perhaps give him the benefit of the doubt, but they are just playing so terribly. I don't get what the plan is. No fear football apparently means let's boot it up to Lukas Jukovic's. He, what is he, 35-year-old Lukas Jukovic mm. now? It's just so, so poor. But what do the owners do? Do they take it on the chin and sack him already? <sighs> That's it, isn't it? That's, this is what I mean. You have to make a decision quickly, otherwise your season's going to fizzle out. And Birmingham have a real, real... Um, well, they're in a position, really, where they're looking nervously over their shoulder I think because they've got the likes yeah. of QPR on Wednesday have picked up form Huddersfield are chipping away they're going to improve themselves in January I'm I'm worried about them under Wayne Rooney I think if another manager comes in who um, let's say John Eustace for example I'd be confident of him getting him into the top 10 because he knows the strengths of the squad and he can play to their strengths Wayne Rooney can't and if they go down the same route again post Rooney which I think is inevitable at this point because it's getting to a um, the, 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 the position where it's it's untenable because 
performances are dreadful. Lee Buchanan's form uh, pre-Rooney was fantastic. Post-Rooney, dreadful. Um, and that's a really good summary of where they are at the moment. The, the team's nowhere near yeah. um, its, its, its qualities. Yeah. Well, the club needs to decide what's more important to them, success on the pitch or PR. Because they brought in Rooney as he's a bigger name than John Eustace. However, they're getting PR for all the wrong reasons now. And they've now won the fewest points in the division since Rooney came in. And it certainly would have not been this bad if Eustace was still in charge. And, you know, Rooney could sit there and blame the players and the media, but they weren't playing this badly under Eustace. This is a good team playing terribly. And there's very little sign of it getting better anytime soon. Let's take a break, Justin. After that, we'll go on to the promotion race. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Let's discuss the promotion race then and we'll begin at the top. Leicester beat Plymouth 4-0. Hayden's three-road review. Third gear, finally. <laughs> and a very comprehensive win for Enzo Moresca's men. I mean, Leicester were missing Jamie Vardy and Kalechi Iheanacho for this game. So it's always handy when you've got a spare £23 million striker in Pats and Dakar just lying around, milling around at the training ground and like oh Pat's a new fancy a game at the weekend he'd only played one minute in the league this season started this game and got a goal and an assist he's played more for Zambia this season than he has for Leicester that's incredible <laughs> that's isn't a it? good start it's incredible good start. isn't it um, but it just highlights the quality they've got in abundance uh, with Dakar waiting for his chance they've got Ihenacho and Vardy as you say they've been chipping away at goals but they've got Dakar as well who's incredibly he's played one minute I think that's an incredible incredible number of minutes to play despite Costing so much just Minute. a couple of years ago. Um, I wanted to point out as well, the front three had 102 touches between them, which is only five more than Yannick Vestergaard had at centre-back. It's just a devastating... They were just devastating decisive every time. And for Dakar to come in and be a part of that so seamlessly, I think is a, is a good highlight of Enzo Moresca's coaching because you've got a player there who hasn't played any football at all. You can't count a minute because he's not played any football at all. And he's come in and he's seamlessly fit in. I think that's a really good, really good um, prospect for Leicester this season. Well, you look at some of the players who have played in five games or fewer for Leicester this season. You've got Pat Sandaka, Dennis Pratt, Harry Souter, Tom Cannon, Connor Cody. Those five players cost a total of £73 million. Oh. And 
they've all played fewer than five games this season. They've just been left down the back of the sofa and forgotten about. <laughs> it's just an embarrassment of riches. But with Dakar, his record at RB Salzburg over in Austria before he went to Leicester was ridiculous. He scored 51 goals mm. in 59 games. So there's clearly a very good player in there, despite him struggling since moving to Leicester. But if they make him realise his potential, Leicester could have an absolute bagsman on their hands. Leicester continuing to have the best start in Championship history. No team has won more points after 20 games than them. Their next three games are all against teams in the bottom eight. So quite difficult to not see that trend continuing. They're going up, Justin, aren't they? I struggle to see a scenario where they don't at this stage. It's hard to make a convincing argument against them. It's hard to make an argument against them, um, to be honest with you. It's, it's got, I mean, other than the Leeds game, they haven't really been outplayed. I, I, you know, it's in quote, um, in quote commas there for, for that, that statement, because despite losing to Borough and Hull, arguably in those games, they should have come away with something because they created chances at key times that they didn't take. So those fine lines working against them, I think it just serves a reminder of how how good they are and how well how they've been cooking or baking this season. And boy, is this is this cake going to be worth it at the end of the season? Because they've they've got uh, oh, yeah. they've got some lovely gears to go through yet. Yeah, and that's the thing. Into you're right. They haven't been outplayed at all, really, apart from that Leeds game. And they still haven't looked like they've got into third gear yet. And I suppose the Plymouth game was an example of them getting into third gear. But they've had their wobble and they've got past it. I think the question is more about whether they win the league Although even that seems quite likely. Maybe the question is more about how emphatically do they win the league. So I I think the question is more, when do you start talking about the points record? Well, I mean, I have been thinking about that (laughs) quite a lot recently. And at some stage, we probably will do that. But considering we're not even halfway through the season, maybe we'll just hold off from that for now. But they're just ridiculously strong. Got a classy manager who understandably had a few doubters when he came in, but has shown he's the real deal. He's getting the best out of this very talented group. Some three-word reviews from Plymouth fans. Can't win away. And uh, Cologne says, Callum, that was from Cologne, sorry. Callum says it was expected. Ipswich are still second after beating Middlesbrough 2-0. Some three-word reviews for you here james says clean sheet mad and reese says fueling the tractor quite a comfortable one for ipswich in the end as mentioned in our last couple of episodes borough have been absolutely blighted with injuries so perhaps not too much of a surprise that ipswich got a win here let's not take anything away from them though because ipswich have struggled on the road recently so a good way of correcting that also their first clean sheet in nine games and that's been a particular bugbear with you hasn't Mm -hmm. it justin you picky picky man connor chaplin got a goal and an assist and he's someone we haven't mentioned too much actually isn't he but he's been one of the stars of Ipswich's success this season very much a team effort down there but Chaplin has certainly stood out and he's got eight goals for the season I want to point out the fact that I was skeptical of him being a regular goal scorer at this level and I'll eat my words here because he's he's been absolutely fantastic he was obviously fantastic in league one last season but his ability to just float in and around George Hurst pick up the scraps and just fire in the back of the net it's probably doing him a disservice, but he's so good at just finding that space to to be able to create a shooting opportunity for himself. And it takes an intelligent player who's had to mature quite a lot over the last couple of years to do that. And he's and he's taken to the championship brilliantly this season. He's been a well, he's a he's a key player for Ipswich, and he's a, a big reason as to why they're the top scorers in the league this season, or one of the top scorers in the league this season. Yeah, well, he's just classy and he's mm. such a classy player joy to watch and he's he's like the Portsmouth Bernardo Silva because he <laughs> he's just the ideal number 10 at this level he can score all types of goals can play that killer ball loves to run at defenders I mean 
you watch him this season and you think, why was this guy playing in League One last mm. season? Because he's clearly got so much technical ability and just gives Ipswich an X factor in that final third. A lovely, lovely player. Alex's three-word review for Borough January window needed. Yes, very correct. Um, so Ipswich stays second, a point behind Leicester. Seven points behind Ipswich is Leeds United, who kept the pressure on the top two with a 2-0 win away at Blackburn. Alistair's three-word review, away win finally. And Leeds, not at their best, but we've bemoaned them when they haven't played well and struggled to scrape a win. So this was a step in the right direction in that respect a clean sheet as well only their second clean sheet in 10 games and a man who needs highlighting Justin is Joe Roden at the back who's been phenomenal over the past few games the Leeds have been a bit leaky at times but he has been excellent despite that well we've, we we had a few uh, Leeds fans give us feedback on who they thought their best signing was in the summer and obviously I think we pointed to uh, the point the point the finger towards Ethan Ampadu and he's been fantastic this season but a lot have pointed out Joe Rodon who's been superb I think he's the ideal Daniel Farker defender as well because he's he's a good defender and it's quite easy to forget about him as well because obviously he spent a couple of years behind the scenes at Spurs not really getting a game and I think he had a loan spell at was it Nice last season as well yes yeah so he had a loan his loan spell at Nice where he obviously clearly didn't set the world alight so he's needed to come in and reset and, and he's done it brilliantly and as I say he's, he's a perfect Daniel Farker defender because he's comfortable with the ball at his feet um, and, he, and he's a solid solid defender he's shown that in um, in, in Swansea sides in, in previous years he's, he's got a lot of potential to go through as well so yeah really impressed with him and obviously the clean sheet is massive and I think if um if they're going to carry on their form, they're going to need a, a strong backline, a strong, consistent backline, and and Joe Roden's a part of that. Yeah, well, you, you're spot on. And when you think of when you think of Daniel Farker centre backs, Joe Roden fits yeah. the bill, doesn't he? He gives leads so much composure at the back and has produced some massive blocks and tackles this season. He's just really shone at the heart of that Leeds defence and Pascal Stroik his centre-back partner has been a bit shaky at times so it helps having someone as solid and consistent as Roden and he is that and he is Mr Consistent yeah. also a very good looking man oh I've not actually viewed him in that sense I've I've been too distracted by Alan Sheehan this weekend I've not really not really focused on Joe Roden he's, he's got those tattoos hasn't he he's got sleeves hasn't he mm. um, which adds he, to that. Um, I, just, I just think he's a, a bit rugby player-esque you know, mm. if he if he popped up and, you know, he's playing rugby for Wales, then I'd be like, yeah, fine. Looks like a rugby player. Um, but, you know, it kind of adds to the magic of it all when he's just this classy centre. <laughs> don't don't expect it. You don't expect it, I think. Um, but fair play no. to him. He's yeah, a good looker. Not, not common yeah. for a defender. Pascal, Pascal Strike as well. He's a good looking fella. Yeah. yeah. Leeds have got the most handsome defence in the yeah. division. Uh, well, centre-back pairing anyway. We'll ignore everyone else. But yeah, we'll, we'll give them that for sure. Uh, a shout-out for Dan James, by the way. Six goals in seven games. Brilliant form for him. A three-word review here from James, who is a, a Blackburn fan. Not enough quality. Um, that's fair. Have had a few injuries, to be fair, Blackburn, haven't they? Southampton dropped points for just the fourth time in 12 games after drawing one all away at Watford. A three-word review here from Stones. Kill the game. He said that in capitals. So, you know, he really meant it. They conceded an equaliser in the 95th minute after a clangor from Gavin Bazunu in goal. He actually had a really good game up until that point, but he does have a mistake in him, unfortunately, doesn't he? Southampton have been in great form recently, unbeaten in 12. But it kind of feels like they're missing something compared to the top three, doesn't it? It, it feels like they're quite a way off from, you know, everyone else in the division, you know, mm -hmm. better than all of them. But it feels like the bottom, uh, the top three are just 
much they've got more about them than Southampton have so I feel like they're kind of destined to finish fourth this season it's, it's a good point to make because I, I put this in my notes that it just feels like they lack a natural creator slash number 10 if you like um, in, in their in their lineup to, to edge these tight games now I know they've got an abundance of technical quality in the final third but I, I'm talking about her player who, who thrives in the sort of in between, uh, well, just outside the edge of the box, Callum O'Hare would be would be the perfect sort of option or perfect uh, kind of player I would I would look to to, to to signing in terms of profile. It's just that guy who can take the ball on the half turn or take the ball uh, with his back to goal and 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 find a more incisive pass, especially because teams are going to defend deep against Southampton. Because is that not Carlos Alcaraz, Justin? I don't think he's that type of player. I don't think he's the, the type of player who, like Callum O'Hare, can just take the ball. Drive in tight in those tight tight areas and, and, and pick those passes. It doesn't feel like he's 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 really got that, or unless he has got it, and we just haven't seen it yet. Um, but I think that's what they're missing uh, to turn those tight draws into 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 wins. It's just those those really fine margins that they're, they're missing out on, and maybe maybe that type of player can come in and, and address that. Well, perhaps one of the reasons why they don't stand out as much as the top three is because their wins tend to be quite close, don't they? When I sit down to watch Leeds, they're absolutely ruthless sure they have the odd game where they're a bit off it but when they're good they are brilliant and Southampton seem to just edge games which is fine and in a normal season they probably would be closer to second but this season the standards of the top three are just so high that I find it increasingly difficult to see Southampton getting automatic promotion because the top three just have so much more about them it's a it's a fair point to make and I think it's just a case of had Southampton not stumbled as hard as they did and been as unconvincing as he had, maybe the confidence would have been developed early on to, to really kick on. You look at Leeds. And I'm not sure, Justin. I'm talking I'm I'm looking at their recent form at this unbeaten twelve game run, fantastic, but I haven't looked at them too much in that time and thought, bloody hell they're good. Again, that's a fair point, but it is my, my point I was going to make was it's building that confidence from an early stage and and, and really backing yourself. And I don't think Southampton had that. Um and it, obviously it might be filtering into now and I know they've had a couple of injuries as well and obviously sold a lot of players like Nathan Teller who might have made a significant difference. Shea Adams scored his first goal since August in this game. There's just a lot of players there who haven't looked anywhere near their best and I think that's the key thing whereas Leeds, Somerville and Purdue you know, players have looked in top draw, top quality and I just think Southampton haven't had that yet. Sunderland won their first game since sacking Tony Mowbray by beating West Brom 2-1. What I was saying earlier about wins after a sacking is something to it, I'm telling you. It's particularly in the Championship. Uh, Sunderland had a perfectly good goal ruled out for offside and a clear penalty turned down. So justice done, I suppose, in that respect. Why are you pulling A clear face, penalty? Pa- yeah, pa- the Patrick Roberts. No, goal. Ryan. No. Are you being serious? Initiate contact. Did you see the replay? Initiate contact. I'm surprised you're not mentioning a Dan Ballard red card because that was a that was a stonewall red for me. That was an awful tackle on Josh Madger. Mm. I thought the penalty was a clear penalty, mm. but it, it didn't matter, did no. it? They still bloody won. Um, just that I'm becoming a bigger and bigger fan of Dan Neal. What a player! He is. He took his goal so well. I love that little dink, and the, it was a great pass by Alex Pritchard too. But Neil. He is just a baller, isn't he? He's a fantastic player. And again, we're probably going to keep praising him throughout the season, but I think it's the players around him allow him to, to build. But if you look at him, if you compare him to this time last season, he, um, it, it's one of those scenarios where he probably wasn't at his best last season, but he's really, really matured 
this season and taken on that role of, of I guess, the, being the responsible one for that midfield um, and taken on that role really well. And I think that another thing here is West Brom was such a difficult side to break down, but Daniel's passing again allowed Sunderland to, to really take onus on this game on, on several occasions. I think Pritchard coming on really helped as well because he had that passing avenue to, to get the ball into and break West Brom down or ask more questions of them. But yeah, he's, he's a fantastic player who's got a big future ahead of him. We know that. Oh, definitely. He's really developing into the perfect all-round championship midfielder, isn't he? He's completed more progressive passes than any other player in the division. But he's also running with the ball a lot more this season. So he, he just gives you everything you need. He's having a really productive season. It's easy to forget. He, he is only 22. Yeah. And you're right. Last season, he got a bit of stick, to, particularly towards the end of it, for not playing perhaps as well as people ever expected. But this season, he really has been one of the best centre midfielders in the division, mm-hmm. for my money. He is a serious, serious player. Lee's three-word view for West Brom. Too many injuries. Another side who have uh, certainly felt the wrath of the treatment room recently. Um, <laughs> Busy schedule. I don't, I don't know where I was going with that. Um, Cardiff got just their second win in six games by beating Millwall 1-0. Lucas, three-word review. Done the job. Andrew says, ground it out. It's been an interesting start for Joe Edwards at Millwall, hasn't mm. it? He's uh, maybe not had the instant effects that people were expecting. Obviously, they had that 4-0 win against Sheffield Wednesday, but since then, no win in four. Yeah, it's, it's a strange one. And this was a really ugly game as well. And I expected it to go that way, but I did expect a little bit more quality from Millwall because they've invested quite a lot of money in the summer. And we're just not seeing the, the fruits of that. But yeah, it has been a, has been a poor start. If I was to be sceptical, it's something that I expect from a Frank Lampard trustee. Um, we go. But uh, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to afford him a little bit more time. Any chance to dig, <laughs> dig it, uh, t- I don't know, twist the knife um, when it comes to Frank Lampard because you're still bitter about the still 2019 bitter. Championship playoff still final angry. and always will be. Um, yeah, yeah, with Edwards. I mean, it, it's it's a shame because I look at this Bill Hall squad and I think it's a bloody talented squad. Shouldn't definitely not be as low in the table as they are. And I think it was going to take time because they went from Gary Rowett, who was Rowett Ball, and they've now got Gerard Woods in, who wants to play the ball around a bit more. So I think there was always going to be that transition. However, it has been a bit, I was going to say, it's just been a slow start, but it's been a bit more than a slow start, really. It's been actually quite poor. So maybe it's just teething issues, Justin. I don't know, but I, I was I, I was certainly expecting a bit more than what we've seen so far, I think. No, it's, it's, it's a fair point. It's a fair point because... That's what I mean. That 4 0 winning at Sheffield Wednesday in his first game probably lured people into a bit of a false expectation because following games have been poor, a bit of a pickup against Sunderland, but this was yeah, a little bit back to back to the normal. Back to the normal. And yeah. This will be an interesting period of games, next few games, because he needs to pick them up before this Christmas period. Yeah. And final game of the weekend was Norwich nil, Preston nil. Two managers under a bit of pressure, because it's not been going too well for either recently, but I think they'll both be all right with this result. Let's do the polls, Justin. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first question I asked was this. Uh, where are the polls? Here they are. Um, if you were a Premier League club, which of these managers would you appoint? Daniel Farker, Enzo Maresca, Kieran McKenna. Oh, it's going to be tight between Maresca and McKenna. I'll edge towards McKenna, though. 
I am surprised. I thought you'd say Daniel Farker. Well, no, because I like... It's a bit contradictory, I guess. I like Farker, but he's not got a great track record. And why not give it someone fresh like McKenna? He's got an appalling record in the Premier League, Justin, hasn't he? Great. <laughs> Let's not beat around the bush here. It's absolutely <laughs> terrible. Um but yes, Kieran McKenna got 60% of the votes, 22% for Enzo Moresca, 18% for Daniel Farker. I thought Moresca might get a bit more. Yeah. I feel like he's been a bit hard done to. Bloody hell, that's a, a big significant swing towards McKenna there. That's incredible. Yeah. I thought I thought McKenna would win it, but I thought Moresca might get a bit more. Maybe that says something about him being underrated as a manager. People are just looking at the Leicester team and going, yep, yeah, it's a ridiculously talented squad, should be winning the league. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe something to discuss at a later date. Final, uh, next question is this. What should Birmingham do with Wayne Rooney? Give him more time or sack him? Oh, just sack him. Put him out of his misery. Get his arms back, for goodness sake. Just sack Pat. Shanfranco <laughs> Rooney. <laughs> uh, 72% of people said sack him. 28% said give him time. And finally, Yorkshire pudding on a Christmas dinner. Yes or no? Of course. Are you a heathen? You've got to say Yes. Oh, I, I, I'm yes as well. Yeah. I, I was just pointing it out there because I know it's quite a controversial subject for people, Justin. 80% of people said yes. 20% said no. What's something you don't have at a Christmas dinner, which you might have on a roast dinner? Uh, nothing. Christmas dinner is just a roast dinner, but with cranberry sauce and turkey. Yeah. That's yeah. it. You're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's, there's nothing special about a Christmas dinner other than your family's getting stressed over the timings. That's it. And having to talk about politics with your uncle that you don't see very often um, <laughs> you like Christmas pudding? Uh, no no not a Christmas pudding guy no you am I overrated now it's time for this hi Simon Chris and Ed Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. So Justin is going to ask me to name eight of a certain subject. All I've got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if he would say, name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, and I would say Villa, that's one down. And then Newcastle, that's another down. But if I would say Weymouth, I would lose a life. So all I need to do is give all eight answers without losing all my lives. And you can get involved in the fun by sending in your Hateful Eights for either Justin and I to read out, send them into secondtierpod at gmail.com, and you could get a shout-out the next time we do a Hateful Eight. Eight. Alternatively, just play along at home and let us know how many you've got. Um, we have got quite a few Hateful Eights, so I apologise if it takes us a while to get round to yours, but uh, we, we will try and uh, do that slowly but surely. Who's this Hateful Eight from, Justin? From Gareth. I didn't get a last name, but he emailed in with his Simon Grace and he wants you to name the most eight most expensive summer transfers or the eight most expensive transfers that took place over the summer. I have basis of transfer market. If it's good enough for Mel Morris and valuing his Derby squad, then it's good enough for me just to I tried to look through local media valuations it's quite difficult so as I say most expensive signings this, uh, from this summer and I'm going to give you two lies because I actually think it's quite easy okay then well I'll start off with uh, the man who is in his mid-twenties but actually looks like a teenager Harry Winks <laughs> you are correct 9.4 million he's third on this list he's third he's third he might be top uh, well, I think Leicester are going to be quite high. A lot of Leicester players are going to be quite high in this. Um, I'll throw in Connor Cody. Yep, he's uh, seventh on this list, so he's a little bit further down. Ooh, okay. That's surprising. Mm. Um, well, Shea Charles at Southampton, he cost a fair I bit. didn't think you'd get him, but he's second. He's second. Mm. Yeah. Only, only just 
remembered him because I literally looked at the Southampton team about five seconds ago. Um, I, oh, which of the Coventry strikers might be in there? I can't remember which one costs more. I'll go Hadji Wright. You're spot on with that one. He is, oh God, I've got to look hard on this list. I think he's fifth and you've got... Fifth? Yeah. Mm, I'm not sure if Ellis Sims will be on there then. Um... I'll throw in Tom Cannon oh, at Leicester. I don't think you'd get him either, but he's sixth. He's sixth. Yeah, you've got, let me just double check. You've got one, two, you've got three left. <laughs> Thanks, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, Ipswich didn't sign anyone, did they, really? Well, didn't spend that much money, rather. Signed Jack Taylor. Um, sorry? Signed Jack Taylor. Yeah, he wasn't that much, though. Um, who did Leeds sign? Joel Pirro? He's top. He's top? He's top. How much was he? He's down as 12.2 million. I had to, try, I had to okay. convert it from euros as well. Very annoying. Yeah. Um, did Leeds sign anyone else? Ethan Ampadu? You are correct. Ooh. You are correct. He's eighth. So I've got one left, haven't I? You've got one Which number's that? And it's the fourth one on the list. That's a fair bit. Mm -hmm. Someone who cost about 10 million. Uh, I mean, I'll throw in Ellis Sims, but I don't think he costs that much. It's your first life lost. Yeah. I think mm. the Ellis Sims one, obviously, initial fee is about three million. So he's quite low. I, um, I'm not too sure on what this last one is. I feel like I'm going to be kicking myself when, uh, when you do read it out to me. I'm going to go to Southampton because I haven't touched on them too much. And I'll throw your way... Actually, I can't think of anyone. <laughs> they, they, they didn't really. They signed. They spent a load of money on Shea Charles, but I can't think of anyone else. They signed. They did not sign anybody else. Bloody hell! Is it? Is it Southampton? I'm not telling you. I'm not giving you a clue. Well, this you, is Simon your Grayson. Face, it, your face is telling me. It's My face is telling me I've got a heavy cold. Can you get a move on, please? Sorry. Um, I think I'm gonna have to tap out. Just you've got just one guess away. left. Just guess. I know. Just guess. Um, just throw a name. It's not Matt Latissier. Or, or is it? Taylor Harwood Bellis, but I don't think they signed him permanently, did they? That's not Taylor Harwood Bellis. It's Ross Stewart. Oh, but <laughs> <laughs> The Loch Ness Drogba. The Loch Ness Drogba. I mean, he's easy to forget because he's just disappeared off the face of the he's earth. He's still injured. He's, yeah, he's still injured, but he will <sighs> still get so the golden boot this season. <laughs> he's still holding on to that are you Justin I have to I have to <laughs> there we go ladies and gentlemen that's been Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight and we'll finish off ladies and gentlemen with the moment you've all been waiting for it's the Father Son Championship 11 I'm wary time is running out on this episode but I'm willing to extend it for this section. Um, it's mainly made up of players whose dad used to play in the championship. But I've had to bend the rules in some cases. Thank you to everyone who's helped put it together. We've been talking about it over the last couple of episodes, haven't yeah. we? Uh, but we finally got a complete 11. So in goal, we've got Angus Gunn, uh, son of Brian. Darnell Furlong at right back. One. Son of Paul. I like that one. Uh, Charlie Cresswell and James Hill at centre-back. Sons of Richard and Matt. Jacob Greaves at left back, son of Mark. Uh, Tom Ince on the right wing. I don't think I need to explain who his dad is. Uh, Martin Strike got in touch with Archie Gray in centre midfield, son that. of Andy. Yeah, I can't A believe third that. Third generation footballer. 
Yeah, he, he's, he fits into a, a grandson 11 as well, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, Josh Windass can go in midfield as well. I, I don't think I need to explain that one, who his dad is. Tyrese Campbell on the left wing, son of Kevin Campbell, of course. And then Liam Delap up front alongside Bailey Kadamatri. And then I've, I've even gone as far to pick a manager, Justin. I've gone Nigel Clough as manager. <laughs> um, got quite a decent bench as well. Byron messaged us to suggest Ethan Ampadu. Yeah. He's the son of a former Swansea midfielder, Kwame, yeah. although he's been brutally left out of this side. Uh, George on Twitter suggested... Andre Dezel, yeah, son of Blimey. Ipswich midfielder Jason, former Ipswich midfielder. Uh, could have also had Tabagio, Wright Phillips, George Hurst, Ollie Cooper, Leo Helder, all former football playing dads with varying degrees of fame. What do you think of that, Justin? This is the best thing we've done on this podcast. Wow. I really that's do. That's a lot. That's incredible. About how shit this podcast yeah, is. That. But also, who else has done this? Nobody. Nobody. Pathetic. Everyone else is a fraud. Um, thank you for listening to the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday because we've got midweek games in the Championship, baby. So we will be back again to talk about all of them on Thursday. We look forward to seeing you then. If you wouldn't mind giving us a five-star review, um, helps us grow as a podcast and as I said the other day if you give us a five star review we'll stop asking you to do it and I think that's a pretty fair deal only takes a few seconds of your time leave a review as well we, we might read you out in the near future I don't know maybe um, it's been the second year podcast I've been writing I'm just a pitch and a big thank you for listening Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network.